Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio, and you'll never believe it, but we're here to talk about the same thing we've talked about for the last ten weeks. It was a disappointing loss from Tottenham Hotspur under Jose Mourinho. To talk about this utterly common accomplishment, I am joined by our regular panel of Brian Ashlock and Ben Daniels. Ben, just, you know, do you feel like you're going to master the piano by the time Jose Mourinho leaves Spurs? Yeah, I'm thinking I'm uh, taking up ice sculpture is, I think, priority number one. And throwing cards into a hat. I think those are my first Groundhog Day uh, skill set priorities. But, yeah, piano, a little jazz, a little... Mean tweets. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually I'll get good at Twitter. That'll probably take more time than Groundhog Day allows, but... I, I don't think know. I think I can get there. I think a lot of people are making admin's life a little difficult over at Hotspur Way. Uh, thanks to Jose Mourinho. <laughs> Brian, uh, just you know, I, I don't know. You, you use the slopes to make to make this go a little better, or is it just is there no making this any better? No, there's not. Because when you go skiing, you get a certain amount of energy <laughs> and um, excitement, and and Spurs really just are such a downer. Uh, it, it's it's it, it doesn't work. It's counterintuitive. So you have to <laughs> you have to find other avenues to um, you know. Get yourself, you know, ready for this sort of thing. Good thing you live in Florida. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of options. Honestly, gator wrestling, um, you know, manatee watching, stand up paddleboarding, um, kiteboarding. You can do kiteboarding. That seems lame. You know, joining your local Republican Party seems to be as self destructive as watching Tottenham Hotspur, at least. Yeah, I mean, there's a certain level of. Um, you have to be comfortable with certain things that I'm personally not. Uh, I'm much more into skiing uh, than <laughs> all that. But, but you also hate you know, yourself, so that that's something you haven't got. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Uh, you know, it's a it's a difficult line to walk, honestly. Well, speaking of lines that are not difficult to walk, Tottenham Hotspur lost three one in a, I think fairly unimpressive fashion to Manchester United. Uh, we were talking about this before the show, and Ben joked that it was just like every other fucking loss that we've had under Mourinho, but I feel like the, the highs were higher and the lows were lower. We really seemed to have a plan in the first half. Maybe maybe it was just punctuated by the fact that when we did score our goal, unlike our usual boot over the top and Son and Kane will figure something out, it was a fairly well-worked move. But it seems to be that there was... I mean, regardless of whether it was better or worse than what we usually done, it was certainly a letdown between halves. Brian, I mean, what was what what happened? Well, I mean, look, I don't think anybody watching that match looked at the first half and was like, "We're gonna come out of halftime and be totally different and shitty, and United will then score and we'll lose." Uh, well, I, the second part, know, I think don't some think people... anybody thought that? No, 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 I think, <laughs> I don't, yeah, 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 I, I, what I meant is, I don't think you could have looked at that first half and then not thought, ah, we're gonna fuck this up. 
because because that's exactly what like that's what Jose has conditioned us to do. And and look, the first half was actually good. Like we were using our possession midfielders to possess the ball, and we were passing it around. And you know, the attacking movement and the movement in the final third maybe wasn't there, but we had a lot more of the ball in the first. 40 minutes and it and it it worked it you know we, we we played to our players strengths and we prevented manchester united from doing some of the things that they want to do and now look like there was a disallowed goal and we can argue about whether that was rightly or wrongly disallowed but like we were pretty good in the first half and we did some pretty good things and and we were playing on the front foot and then the second half happened and we didn't do any of those things. Well, I think and, what makes that second half so galling is it's not like someone got hurt or there was a yellow card. We just came out of the half with a different game plan, and it was really, really bad. You know, like, we've talked about Jose not believing in midfield, and we've talked about how Jose wants to defend, and, you know, as Deli said, just fucking, just fucking huffing along and defending. Um, but, you know, in this match for a half, we kept the ball from Manchester United and limited them to one shot. It wasn't the case where, like, we had a rear guard action where, like, the defense just played well and we hit them on the break. We played in a way that was completely counterintuitive to anything Jose wanted us to do. And the fact that we abandoned it at halftime seems to me that it was, like, completely not by design. It was just, like, by accident he put all of those players out there, and that's just how they play football. And he probably yelled at them at halftime. He was like, what are you doing? This is not what we do here. And it got worse. Like, I mean, I, does anybody have the capacity to be, like, mad about this? To be, like, yes. are their day yes. by this anymore? Really? Well, there's there's no. an element to it. It's so inevitable. No, th- 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 that's the thing. It's like, there's this, like, part of your brain, my brain at least, as a Spurs fan, where it's like, this is what it is. Like, this is what this shit is going to be right now. I expect it. And then, like, you know, you, you maybe because I think Manchester United is a bunch of frauds and I don't understand how they're second in the league, but, you know, we play that way against, say, Aston Villa. Like, every time I think we're about to bottom out, we somehow, like, drag it out of this team of, like, a halfway decent performance. But it's just... I don't know. It's 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 stunning to me. Like I know what's going to happen, and we still get there, and I'm somehow still aggravated with it at this point. Maybe because I think, like you see in the first half, you know, with this manager who has drummed any like progressive or interesting play out of this team, we still managed to put something halfway decent together. Probably because the players are doing it all on their own. And you you know you think like oh maybe something can happen, and it still ends up the way it's going to do. I, like. I don't know. It's just... Well, like, so, we have been teased so many I know, ways about, I know. like, oh, yeah, Gareth Bale's back. He scored six goals and had three assists in, like, five games. We finally figured it out. We just play Gareth Bale, and now we have... Deli Alley's coming back enough. into the squad. He's going to make things more creative. Like, right. We, I mean, like, Jose has, like, has been loosey with the football in so many different ways this season where you're like, oh, this is new. Nope, it's the same old thing. It's the same old thing. And, I mean... At this point, if you're still getting tricked by it, like, it's you. You're the problem, not Jose. <laughs> well, and I think even, I think the first half of this match is not even all that interesting to talk about. 
Um, I think you're right. It, I think, I think and, you're right. and maybe that's just because like we we want to be negative about Jose and Spurs, whatever. And that you know, like, sorry everybody's listening. Like, you pick the Tottenham Hotspur podcast. You know what you signed up for. <laughs> um, I I think the second half is more interesting to talk about just from you know a tactical standpoint, from a managerial perspective, because you had something that was working in the first half. You know, whether it was actually going to continue to be effective because of, you know, the disallowed goal or because of, you know, whatever frailties that United exposed on occasion, you, you have to put that aside because we played completely different in the second half. And then when the game did change, the problem was that Jose Mourinho failed to improve our situation. So we came out. 45, from the 45 minutes to when United equalized, United were clearly the better team. That's like, what, 10, 12, 15, you know, whatever, however long. And then our first substitution is to yank La Celso and put on Sissoko. And now, look, La Celso coming back from injury, like there's maybe fitness issues, that's fine. But you have other players available to you on the bench that could have done something and provided some attacking impetus. Like, the game is 1-1 at that point, and what does Sissoko do for you? He doesn't help you implement control in midfield. He does not provide you additional attacking support. He doesn't even really provide you with additional defensive cover. So what are you doing with that substitution? You're just putting on fresh legs. And, And look, you know... Sissoko has his his positives and negatives. I know we always highlight his negatives because that's what we do. It's a podcast. But, like, like, look, there are some things that he does. But none of those things were what we needed in this match. And you have a Deli Alley available. You have Eric Lamella who comes on later. You have Gareth Bale who comes on later. Um, you have other players that you can put on there to impact the game in a positive way. Well, and especially you think back to like that period where Spurs were playing kind of well and getting results under Mourinho not too long ago. And I think on this podcast, certainly, one of the things we talked about was he seemed to realize, well, if instead of putting on Musa Soko, I put on, say, Eric Lamella, who can do defensive things, but also, you know, for all his faults, gets the ball moving forward and can do creative stuff in the final third and certainly injects energy in the squad. I think that was a huge part of why we were successful at that time. And it seemed like, at a minimum, Mourinho learned the lesson of, like, well, if I just stop putting Musa Soko on the pitch, you know, and put a player with some ability to move the ball forward, it had, it pays real dividends. And, you know, especially at a match where, like you said, Brian, I think he could have, you, you know, my guess is, regardless of how that match was going, at 60 minutes, Lacelso was coming off due to his injuries – you know, that Sissoko is what we went with is is mind-boggling on several levels. I mean, it's not like this thing is like you. We don't need to unpack every fucking. But he learned it. Game. He's learned this lesson. <laughs> like, it's the same thing. It's like no, you're right. You're right. Like, no, like, I, like so, like Tolstoy has that quote where he's like, it's, it's Anna Karenina is, uh, oh happy God. families are all all right. Happy families are all happy in the same way. Unhappy families are all unhappy in different ways. And, like, that's the whole point. It's like, it's interesting when things are miserable because they're miserable in their own unique ways. But happiness is boring and bland and whatever. It's all the same kind of happiness. But, like, 
That's Jose has defied this age-old wisdom. We've been happy watching this team in like eight different iterations of this. We today or this weekend play this really interesting, uh, interesting but different, you know, possession-oriented structure. We've played really boring counter-attacking ways where like only Kane and Son are allowed to attack. We've played a very expansive attack with Bale, Kane, and Son and Lucas. Like we have been really good in so many different ways in so many different contexts, which shows like these players are very talented and very capable of doing a lot of different things as long as they're given a direction. But we are miserable week in, week out in the exact same fucking way. It is whenever something good happens, Jose does his Jose thing where he says, you know what, let's going to surrender any initiative we've built over the course of this match. We're going to make defensive substitutions. We're going to stand off the ball. We're going to sit back and hope we don't blow it. We blow it every fucking time. It's not interesting to unpack what what went wrong at any given substitution like we know what went wrong it's fucking jose Mourinho's way of managing this team i thought you couldn't get angry i thought i thought you couldn't get angry about this team anymore (laughs) i'm not angry at the team i'm angry (laughs) at talking about this team it's like what is it to fucking say it's you know it's really hard to do a podcast where we're bad in the exact same ways every week i long for the days of Mauricio Pochettino figuring out what he had on our roster. I think we all found it very frustrating at the time, but goddamn, that was easier to talk about. Yeah, I mean, like, that's the thing. Is like When we had Pochettino, it was like, okay, uh, we're hurt. I guess let's try a back three, you know? Okay, we don't have a midfield anymore. Let's try this, like, long ball, you know, air raid style. And, like, that was always interesting. It didn't always work, but, like, he was always trying new things to get the best out of these players. And Jose, credit to him, keeps trying new things and then can't help himself and just goes and beats Jose Mourinho and fucking ruins it. Well, time and time again. It's so it's it's amazing to kind of sort of watch him lose it. I know, like you know, in retrospect, you could probably see it at United or maybe Chelsea, but you know, I think Tottenham's the first team where hiring him was pre- pretty clearly a mistake. I think. You know, even though United higher, I think you could probably justify it yourself if you were a United fan at the time. And someone who is fairly cerebral, I mean, we're not talking about... I mean, I know he, he's got an ego the size of a fucking house and is an obnoxious as shit, but, you know, Mourinho's a guy who built his career on, you know, having a very thorough understanding of his team and the teams around him. And just the way that he is flailing just completely without an identity and the shit just doesn't work. It's, I don't want to say it's sad to watch. I mean, it's certainly irritating that, you know, we're, we're sort of here when the, you know, game of musical chairs ends, but it's just, it's, it's kind of amazing. I mean, I, I guess all managers kind of just lose it eventually, but it's just kind of amazing to watch a guy who was so successful for so long, just have no fucking idea what to do. It's not like he's coaching West Brom here. I mean, I maintain that if you put the right manager in, in charge of the squad with one or two additions, you could put this team in the Champions League. I think the problem with with this match specifically is that I can't really pick out an individual performance from anybody on Spurs that was actually pretty good. Like I don't think any. I, I, you That's know, fair. That's very fair. Actually, that's a good point. You know, like, maybe Joe Rodan was pretty good. Um, also had his moments, but you're right. I don't think that's a performance that makes you... Like... I, don't, I don't think... I agree. You, you look at that first half, and you look what, it, what happened when we had three passing midfielders controlling the football, 
Like, yes, the whole big picture wasn't there, but like you see what these guys are capable of doing with, you know, a little incentive to just have the ball and do what they wanted with it. And they did. And like, yes, that went away and their positional discipline was a mess when we stopped having the ball. I'm like, I don't think they weren't good for 90 minutes. I mean, some of them were not even given the opportunity to play 90 minutes. We decided to get rid of our midfield. Two thirds of them, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. But like, like, I think the interesting part of this game is the first half because it did show us new things about this team. It showed us what this team might be like with certain players doing certain things. And that, that to me is exciting. You know, we haven't seen a lot of Los Celso and Ndombele together. And we did, and, like, yeah, they dominated Manchester United for 45 minutes. Like, they did not have a sniff. Like, that's that's good. That's cool. That's something to build on if we had someone interested in building anything. Well, that's what I, I find so frustrating about this team. This isn't, you know, I mean, this isn't even the team Pochettino inherited. We're like, okay, let's figure out how to make Nabil Bentaleb into a halfway decent midfielder, which was a much more impressive feat at the time than I think any of us realized. You know, I mean, he's working with a lot of... Real, I mean, Mourinho's, Mourinho's going to get fired eventually. Like, probably... Certainly by the end of the season, I think. And he's going to bitch and moan about how Spurs didn't give him what he wanted. But, like, realistically, this is a pretty decent roster, I think. And, and I think a halfway decent manager could have cobbled this into something worth watching. Well, certainly I think this is a roster that is, you know, top four quality or, you know, top six at least... And at least recently, we're not performing up to that level. Um, it, it, you know, t- to address you know Ben's point a little bit, like, yeah, I thought the first half was was good, and the, and that players played well, like our midfield specifically. But you know, I don't think anybody put together a, a good ninety minutes here. Uh, you know. Uh, Maybe Roden. That's the only guy I can think of. Yeah, and I mean, Hugo had some good saves in the first half, but, or, or, well, Hugo had some good saves in the match as a whole, but, like, yeah, they still scored three goals, so... I mean, I, I don't understand how you can expect somebody to play a good 90 minutes when we didn't play a 90-minute game. We played two... No, I, I, I understand you your know? point, but I think my thing is, is, is Recently, we have been able to look at these games and pull out a player or two who at least put together a decent match, a good match performance. You know, whether that was Kane or Son or whether that was Ndombele or, um, you know, or, or, or uh, yeah, before his I... legs fell off, Hoiberg. Like, I just don't think in this match you can point to a single Spurs player and say, no, they had a good game. Like I, I don't think as a team we had we had a performance across ninety minutes that was actually good. Yeah, but I guess I, I, I mean, who cares? Like, yeah, you know, like, yeah. I don't know. I'm I, trying to talk about something different, man. I don't know. I, I mean, like, you're you're right. Like, it's just more of the same. Where it's like, if nobody's having a good game, it's not every single person's fault for not having a good game. It's the guy in charge of the game plan and. Like, well, again, we had a good enough 45 minutes. So, like, where did that go? Like, did Lo Celso just, like, turn shitty after he had his orange slices at halftime? Like, well, no. Lo Celso at least <laughs> has the excuse of being hurt lately. Like, maybe he ran out of gas. I don't know what everybody else's fucking excuse is. I mean, you know, it's there's this... 
everybody's excuses. I know. Okay. Like you're right. You're, you're right. There's a sense of, I, I think as fans, we tend to jump to conclusions maybe a little earlier than players or than reality dictates. But I certainly think that it seems to me that, you know, I think for a while now we've been at, like we're watching this kabuki theater with Mourinho we know how it's going to end and we're just going through the motions and we're waiting to get there and I think maybe we were a little I don't want to say premature but ahead of the game you know we kind of gave up on Mourinho probably a lot sooner than a lot of the players or um, a lot of other people did and now I think we're at the point where I think you're seeing that in the squad I think everybody knows how this is going to end and they're just marking time and you know, I think that was particularly evident in the rumor that came out this week, which is Harry Kane wants to leave Spurs. Uh, this was put out by The Athletic. Uh, I believe this is reliably reported. I don't think it means he's going to leave Spurs. I don't think it means that this team can't get him back on side with their next hire or whatever. But, you know, I think that points to how dreadful the last year and a half have been. And I think that's... You know, I think it's particularly damning coming from someone who, by all media accounts, has been a very strong Mourinho loyalist. And I mean, I think I think Kane sees the writing on the wall, at least for the short term. Uh, you know, I think I do think it is very easy for Spurs. I, I think Spurs could very easily be competing for top four next year. I don't think we would have to like get the perfect managerial hire for that to happen. But you know, it's been a rough year. It's been a rough two years, and. You know, I think it's pretty damning that a guy like Kane is even think like you know that he's voicing opinions to an extent that's getting into the press that he wants out of here. I, I <laughs> we, ben and I both unmuted at the same time, so I don't know who. I I just I don't care. Like I I don't care. Like all I want is the managerial situation to be resolved, and like you know, like you said, we can we can. We can talk about Harry Kane, but this can potentially be resolved by whatever managerial hire we have. It will be resolved. I think Kane's going to be extremely hard to dislodge. And I think if Kane's going to leave Spurs, it'll be next summer, not this summer. And, you know, so that manager's got a year to prove to Kane that he's the real deal and he can turn this team around, which I don't think is an impossibility at all. But I also think the other thing is there's no market for Harry Kane. No, er, and what I mean by that is there's no market for Harry Kane in the price range that Daniel Levy is willing to accept. I think so it's like very. I think it, I, I literally think the only possibility for a market is if PSG loses Mbappe or City get desperate. Um, you know, if City get embarrassed by Pochettino in the next round of the Champions League or whatever, which is entirely possible. Maybe they do something stupid if they can't get Holland. But right, but those are the two clubs. Yeah, and 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 to me, it, you know. PSG already have Mbappe, and so and and you know he's twenty what twenty two twenty twenty three like like that is obviously a better long term solution and he's already there so you sign him to an extension if you can and Holland is out there and even if he is the same price or slightly more expensive than Harry Kane he is six seven years younger and it makes more sense i i just do not think there is a market outside of like you said 
City or PSG getting desperate and, and City- signing him. Like, like there's no way that like Real Madrid is not interested in him. Bayern Munich is not interested in him, and Bayern Munich doesn't pay that kind of money anyway. Um, you know, Real Madrid, Barcelona, like, like those are those aren't come those people aren't coming in. We're not selling him to United. We're not selling him to Chelsea. Like, we are selling him for stupid money to PSG, or maybe not at all. And so, so well, City's never City's is... never bought anyone like Kane. Like they've never spent that kind of money on a full fledged star. Yeah, and I mean, you know, fifty million on on Kyle Walker, and you know, whatever some of the money they spent on center backs is kind of like their big transfer spending. And you know, I I don't see any indication that they're willing to spend a hundred and fifty million on twenty eight year old Harry Kane. Right. And, like, and if they are, we have 150 million pounds, and you know that's a lot of money. And with some reasonable recruitment, like we can replace that. What if we bought least, like, seven players that's... for 100 million? That means we can buy ten and a half players for 150. <laughs> I think that math checks out. Yeah, yeah. I do think. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I mean, I think the thing that's interesting to like Greg's initial point is that if Harry Kane is talking about leaving, that means Jose's biggest backer in the dressing room is no longer rah-rah Jose Mourinho Tottenham. Or at the very least thinks Jose Mourinho might be leaving and then he doesn't want to be here anyway. Either way, it sort of speaks to how much longer Jose Mourinho has in this club. And it is not very long. And that, I think, is really the important part. I don't even think... I mean, you read between the lines, and I know this is a podcast that indulges in ITK, which no one should do because it's all bullshit. But you read reports, you know, honestly, the only reasons I can come up with why Mourinho is still here aren't, like, positive for his long-term employment. Like, the only reasons I come up with is either financial, because there's something that kicks in at the end of the season, or let's just let him eat shit instead of someone else for a couple weeks. You know, I mean, those are the only reasons I can come up with. I don't think, you know, I I guess finishing top four is a path to Mourinho surviving here, but after the last two results, that that's looking increasingly tenuous. Yeah, I mean, you know, we have two matches before the cup final, and I don't know how you're looking at what Jose Mourinho did against Manchester United and be like, yeah, this guy's capable of beating Manchester City, a much better team. Uh, but you're right, it's like. We're, there's nobody to hire for the interim. Um, you know, we're so close to the end of the season at this point that it's like we're just going to get our next manager in if, if we do sack Jose, and that's not going to happen now. So it's do we let Ryan Mason manage a cup final? Let Honestly, manage a cup why final? not? Or I mean, the, just, the only I, reason I the only reason I can think of is you don't want to feed them to the wolves when they're not ready. And if that's the case, like, get fucking David Pleat to manage the team for, like, three weeks or five weeks or whatever. Like, just end this fucking misery. Uh, I know it's not good, but, like, just, you need to get your next manager in here as soon as possible. And I don't, you know, like you said, Ben, I mean, Kane is not only an icon at the club, but he's Mourinho's biggest backer. And either way, it doesn't bode well that those leaks are getting to the press. Now, I think it's, I don't think it's likely Kane leaves because I think that, like you said, Brian, there's just, the market for him is so small, and it's even smaller than it would normally be because of COVID. You know, it's just, it's it's just not good. It's it's not we good. We have a long contract. Like we have a lot of a lot of the power here in any any negotiation. And and I mean, like 
in a hypothetical world where, uh, like, Dortmund, for example, sell Holland to Real Madrid for some ridiculous amount of money, Harry Kane's not going to Dortmund. Like, they're not turning that money around and turning it into Harry Kane. Like, that's that's not going to happen. There's a very small subset of super-rich clubs well, that are available to us. I mean, the specific scenario I worry about is Holland goes to Real Madrid, Mbappe stays at PSG, City get embarrassed in the Champions League again, and just feel pressured into doing something stupid with Kane. Now, I still I don't, don't think, think Daniel Levy sells to anybody. Well, I think you're right. I think Levy's going to ask for a fortune, and just City has, for as much money as City has, they've never spent that kind of money on a, on a star. And I think, you know... Some people might point out they they seem to be willing to go get Messi a year ago, but I think there's a difference between going to get Lionel Messi for Pep Guardiola and signing Harry Kane. Yeah, one's a much better transfer, and the other one's Lionel Messi. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) I mean, you know, if this was two summers ago and Harry Kane was 26, I'd be like, yeah, there's a, you know, all of the big and good rich clubs should be interested in him. But he's 28 now. His value is more, like, he has more value to Spurs than he does to anybody else. Well, it's yeah, worth I mean, it. As bad as it was to see him get injured like that, it definitely put him on, like, the Ledley King career path, where it's like he missed that moment at, like, 26 years old, where, like, someone should be queuing up to buy him. Like, this guy's ankles suck. He's not scoring like he used to. And now, fast forward, he's 28. Who's buying? Who's paying that kind of money for a 28-year-old? You know, the last I, time somebody did that was like Real Madrid bought Aiden Hazard, and that didn't work out. You know, and there are so many, like you said, young players available right now. That like, why? Why spend the only thing? Yeah, it's not just that there's young players available. It's just that like Holland and Mbappe seem like this generation's, you know, Messi and Ronaldo. Like they are that level of talent. And Harry Kane is six years older than them and also maybe not as good. And and so, like, you know, look, his value to Spurs is significant in that he can score 20 to 25 goals a season and then also, like this season, provide, you know, 10 or 15 assists. Does he have that value to a Manchester City, a PSG, you know, PSG already have Mbappe, so I, I think that's kind of a point. But, you know, like, I, he, he's just more important to Spurs than he's going to be to any other club. Well, and, and I think that's worth talking about, Brian, because, you know, I mean, Marcotti, Gabriel Marcotti was talking about this on his podcast, but I, and I think it's right, and I'm a Spurs fan, so I would think this is right. But, you know, think about, like, real quick, I want to quiz you guys on this. Alan Shearer, I say Alan Shearer's name. What's the first accomplishment of his that pops in your head? Seriously, answer, Brian. What's what's the first accomplishment? I say Alan Shearer's name. What what did he do that you think is important? Well, it's the Premier League scoring record. Yeah, exactly, Ben. I'm guessing you'd say the same thing. Am I incorrect? Stuck at Newcastle. Yeah. Well, but my <laughs> point is, you don't think about how he won the league at Blackburn. You know, like yeah. him doing him getting that Premier League scoring record, and like frankly, doing a lot of it with Newcastle, I think is more important. I think the thing about Kane, and maybe not this year because it's with fucking Jose Mourinho, but. Anything he wins at Spurs is going to mean so much more because he was a youth academy kid at Spurs. 
And I think there is something to be said for players like sticking with clubs like this and not just like, you know what, I want to go win a fucking champion. I want to go win a trophy that lots of other people are going to go win at City. You know what I mean? Like, I think there is something to be said for that. And if he's, if he's thinking about his legacy, you know, honestly, I think it would be bolstered by staying at Spurs. Like, I know that I'm a Spurs fan and I'm inclined to believe that, but... I don't... I mean, I like, think... We Does anyone think of Robin Van Persie as a, as a Manchester United player? I mean, Robin Van Persie is probably very glad he went to Manchester United. You know, but that's like, not what people think about when they think about Robin who Van cares? Persie. That's the thing. Robin Van Persie doesn't give a shit what you think about him or what team you associate with him. He cares that he got paid a fuckload of money to go to Man U. To well, the money side sport. of it's different. If that's what it is, that's different. Just to be to be clear, no, like, that is, like Harry, like you know, you always think a player we hear them say like, "Oh, I want a new challenge. I want a new challenge." Well, you know, the real challenge is staying at Spurs and winning something, not going to Real Madrid. There's no challenge there. But, like, they go to Real Madrid anyway. You know, you get paid a lot. You win a bunch of Champions League. It's just better. Like, Gareth Bale maybe has a little bit of regrets that, like, he spent a lot of time around Madrid, but he also doesn't really have any regrets. But he has zero regrets. But his relationship with Spurs isn't Harry Kane's relationship with Spurs. No, but it doesn't matter. Like, again, Harry Kane is given... 12 years, 14 years of his life to Spurs. Like, and if he feels that Spurs aren't giving back, then I'm like, yeah, why, why wouldn't you? Yeah, well, maybe you shouldn't have backed Mourinho, you fucking dickhead. So. Well, I mean, it, look, if, if, if in two or three years, Harry Kane, like, goes to Juventus on a free and then wins a bunch of Scudettos with Juventus and, you know, whatever. Like, I don't, I don't think I'll begrudge it. Are you okay? I'm fine. I got some sediment in the beer I was drinking. Jesus. Um, I, I just, <laughs> I, like, staying I in. Don't worry. I, I won't begrudge Harry Kane, you know, at some point moving on and winning trophies. Like, like I, as a Spurs fan, I won't feel ultimately bad about that. But, like, it would mean so much more for him to win something here like we've talked about on the show like how much would it feel how, how how great would it feel to see hugo lift a trophy or you know harry kane lift a trophy eric lamella lift a trophy i mean you know vertonghen's gone now he didn't get to lift a trophy you know like how good would it be for the guys that have been here for this phase of spurs to 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 get actual silverware and and for Harry Kane to leave without it is like, like it will feel bad as a Spurs fan, especially if he goes on and gets silverware elsewhere. But I think, like Ben said, Harry Kane is always going to be associated with Spurs, regardless of where he goes, whether he goes there at twenty eight or whether he goes there at thirty two. Like he's he's going to be a Tottenham Hotspur player. Yeah, but you know, it's like. If Harry Kane goes to Man City and wins the Champions League, like he's not going to feel bad that he left that with Spurs. Like some part right. of him might be like, "Oh, well, that would have been nice." But like, when you're holding the Champions League trophy in your hands in a fucking screaming stadium filled with thousands of people, like you don't care what jersey you're wearing that and, much. And you know, exactly. maybe he should have been healthy for when we were in Champions League final. And then <laughs> who knows? Yeah, this is all his fault. So I, I mean, look, I think the point is, is it's very hard to move at this age. Like, look at Wilfred Zaha at Crystal Palace. Okay, that's a little we different, because Wilfred Zaha is fucking dumb as shit, so... No, we all know Zaha is better than Palace, but 
he's stuck because, like Harry Kane, he signed a long-term deal with a club that, you know, you might say is beneath him, but it's his boyhood club. He's there. He's getting paid. He's the star player. And nobody is capable of paying the money it would take to dislodge him because yeah. he is worth more to the club that he is on who has him in that long-term contract than anybody else is willing to pay. And, like, that's how you get stuck. Like, and My issue, I think the difference is Zaha keeps trying to get out of those contracts and then subsequently signs another one, whereas this is the first time Kane has tried to get out of this one. I mean, so. it's like it's, it keeps not working. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, just gut feeling, because I, I tend to think Kane's not going to go, Spurs are getting him a fat raise, and he will be happy under our next successful manager, but, like, uh, Ben, you think he's here next year? Absolutely. Brian? Yeah, 100%. Okay. 100%. Okay. Yeah, uh, I mean, look. No, seriously. There is literally no way that the, the summer transfer shake out in a way that someone pays Daniel Levy what he wants for Harry Kane. And I think we've all talked about it on here. Michael talked about it last week. Harry Kane is not one of those players that just gives up and, like, is going to commit to, you know, sitting out or going to the quote-unquote jerk mattresses. Harry Kane will just continue to play and score goals because that's what Harry Kane is wired to do. So he's not going to force a move, and no one is going to pay what Daniel Levy wants. There is literally 0% chance that he moves. So let's talk about the other piece of news that came out. Uh, I don't know exactly how important it is, but um, it came out today. We're recording this just to be clear on a Tuesday night in America in case things change between now and when you listen to us. That uh, it looks like Flick is getting the, who is the manager of Bayern, uh, is getting the, the German national team job. And Germany is, uh, Bayern rather, is apparently looking very closely at Nagelsmann, uh, who has been very heavily linked with the Spurs job. So now that Nagelsmann, who I think in all of our conversations uh, has been our, all of our sort of number one pick for Spurs' uh, next manager, assuming for the sake of argument, uh, it's certainly not definite that he is gone, but assuming for the sake of argument that he is, you know, sort of where does that leave you? What, what, how are you feeling about Spurs' next manager, Brian? Um... Well, I mean, look, Nagelsmann is obviously choice number one in terms of pedigree, in terms of, you know, what he's done at his current club. Um, And then I guess that leaves you with kind of the next subset of managers, which is, you know, good managers in the Premier League that you can kind of project onto Tottenham Hotspur, sort of. I mean, sort of what we did with Mauricio Pochettino. And, you know, it leaves you with Graham Potter and Ralph Hasenhutl, who we were very high on earlier in the year. And, I don't know, uh, other guys, I guess. Like, uh, I don't you know, a Jesse Brandon. Marsh, <laughs> Brendan Rodgers, yeah, a Jesse Marsh who hasn't managed in the Premier League, but it seems to be like kind of an up and coming manager. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I look. I think Nagelsmann, like, if you're Tottenham Hotspur, you you want to rid yourself of Jose Mourinho as quickly as possible and force Nagelsmann's hand in, on a decision as soon as possible. Because Germany's not going to part ways with Yogi Lowe until 
after the World Cup, or after the Euros at least, anyway. And they wouldn't hire Hansi Flick until, you know, July, August, and then... They could announce it. They they could, I think these dominoes could. are going to fall fairly quickly, whether or not they're officially announced or not. But, I mean, it, it certainly doesn't seem like at this point, you know, in mid-April, we're looking at a, a Germany and Bayern dominoes falling right now. And, and certainly they could. Um, I mean, Bayern yeah. getting knocked out of the Champions League today, I think, yeah, I definitely think, expedites that a little bit. I think you don't want Flick has to sit around. You don't want to upset, you know, the team before you're going into a Champions League final. Now it's like... Well, if he assuming season, assuming Flick takes the job, I, th- I think yeah, I think we're going to know by the end of the season whether or not Nagelsmann is taking it. But well, I think you're right, Brian. It's like we need to make Nagelsmann an offer he can't refuse, like now before Bayern is dangling that job in front of his face, or you know, make make him make that hard choice. Exactly, and, and, and you know, we're sitting tight on Jose, presumably until the League Cup final for whatever fucking reason. Um, and, and, you know, if, if the Nagelsmann thing is off the table, then I don't know where we go. I mean, uh, we talked about this a little bit before the show. We talked about the merits of Potter versus Hassenhudel versus, you know, I don't know, a guy like Ten Hag or, or whoever else. And, and it's unfortunate that we're in this position where we we just don't we're we're left with some uncertainty about like the top candidates for this job because like we should have just done this a long time ago like if if Nagelsmann was the guy that we wanted and we were already decided that Jose was on the way out like we should have just agreed to this like literally three months ago like we shouldn't be here now yeah I mean I guess the thing you could say about a Nagelsmann is the only way we get him is if Bayern chooses to pass. And so if he's our number one guy, we just kind of have to wait and see if Bayern declines to hire him. And then we can swoop in and say, hey, come to Spurs, you know. And until then, we don't want to line up somebody else because we want to keep that option open. And he's not going to move to Spurs unless he knows Bayern's off the table. And so it's kind of... It could be like just a really weird needle we have to be threading if that's the guy we want. And I don't know if that – maybe that's not the right choice. Maybe we sh- it would be better to be more proactive and just get a guy who is our second choice and just say, you know what, we're probably not getting Nagelsmann. Let's line this up. Let's make sure we're going into the next season with the guy we're happy with. But I don't know. I, I, I'm not opposed to Levy like making that gamble and rolling those dice, even if it pays off – badly and then we find ourselves scrambling a bit i just hope that we have that list of who's number two and who's number three you know in case it goes badly because so i don't want to be in a situation where it's like uh who's the jose Mourinho that's available let's get that guy so let's let's talk about that because i i tend you know I, I think maybe this is just stereotypes but you know i tend to think if Bayern wants the young up-and-coming german manager they're going to get him so Assuming they want him, just because, like you said, Ben, I think that's the situation we're going to be in if we're waiting on him. Assuming Bayern take Nagelsmann, who is your sort of number two choice if you were running Spurs, and who do you think Spurs are going to end up with? Brian, well, for me, for, for me, like uh, I think the choices of who Spurs are going to wind up with come down to guys in the Premier League. You're talking about Potter, Hassanoodle, Scott Parker, um, 
And you Brendan. Know, those guys. Brendan. I mean, like, we can't rule. I tend to think that Brendan is not particularly likely. I I, I think, sort of agree with you, but I, I think, especially with this Kane news, I think Levy's got to take a, is going to feel like he has to take a swing, even though, like I I, I do think, and I, I know it's very in fashion to sort of bash Daniel Levy these days among Spurs fans, but I think Mourinho is a bit of an outlier um, for him amongst his hires, but I still think he's going to want to get like a name in here that settles Harry Kane down, and. You know, I, I don't love what we have to do to get Rodgers, and a lot of people are saying that's not really going to happen, but I, I don't think you can discount that because I think he checks that box to some extent. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree with you, but I just I, I think for me, I think he is less likely to, to leave a lesser situation, which is actually pretty good. And to then, you know, a Potter or a Hassanoodle or a Parker or whatever. Um, and, and, you know, if I'm managing or if I'm in charge of Spurs, you know, the, the guys that I am looking at are continental. Um, you know, I'm looking at you know, Rose has already agreed to go to Dortmund, but, you know, uh, Lucien Favre is available. Um, you know, I'm looking at... Um, uh, I'm looking at um, uh, Roberto De Zerbi from from Sassuolo, who literally has not at all been linked with Spurs, um, but just as somebody that I would like. Um, and you're looking at like I don't know Jesse Marsh, who weirdly like as an American, um, I have conflicting feelings about an American managing Tottenham Hotspur, but by all accounts, he's very well respected. And is doing good things at uh, Red Bull Salzburg, so maybe he's okay. Like I, I, I don't know what to make of him because, like, just my inner football fan feels like an American managing Spurs is weird. Well, I think Marsh symbolizes. I, I, I get your point about an American managing Spurs being a little strange, but I think Marsh symbolizes an interesting dilemma for Spurs, which is. You know, do we take that big swing on a fairly established manager? Do, I mean, we were linked with Sari today. I don't think that's going to happen. But do we take a swing on someone like that to keep Kane happy? Or do we think we need someone like that to really make Spurs successful? Or are we really willing to risk it on a guy whose highest level of football is, you know, depending on how you look at it, like Austria or America? I mean, you know, are we going to really reach for someone who is unproven, I tend to think we won't do that. Or if, if we reach, it looks more like Graham Potter than Jesse Marsh. I mean, I guess the thing about Marsh is he's already in the Red Bull pipeline. If Nagelsmann's leaving Leipzig, then Red Bull has Marsh to go from Salzburg to Leipzig. And like, that seems like a really natural progression there um, for him to like stay in that family, for them to have their next manager lined up. Like that's kind of how they've moved their managers and their talent for years. Um, you know, that's how Marsh ended up at Salzburg in the first place. Um, you know, I think the question with, with player psychology, right. And like appeasing the players is a guy like Jose Mourinho is a guy you bring in and just immediately on reputation, the players go, Jose Mourinho, I've heard of that guy. He's very good at this. And you kind of have that buy-in from day one because they're primed to know that like this guy is, is Jose Mourinho. I don't know that there's like a manager like that in existence, honestly, in, in football today, who has that kind of immediate cachet. Like 
Brendan Rodgers coming in is not the guy that, like, everybody goes, well, oh, my God, we got yeah, Brendan Rodgers? Like, who fucking, like... It doesn't blow you away, but you bring in, like, an Allegri or a Rodgers or a, you know... Yeah, Allegri is, like, maybe he's like, oh, well, he won a lot at Juventus. Yeah. And two Champions League yeah. finals. Like, that's, like, the biggest name manager, you know? The guy who's, like, you know, like a Carlo Ancelotti, right? Coming to Everton is, like, kind of feel like... Yeah, this guy's shit. a pro. Like, this you is know. a... This is a big deal. And, but I think short of that, it's like, like Rafa Benitez. Like, there's just nobody who really carries that cachet anymore. Does anyone um, Does anyone here want Rafa Benitez, by the way, given that the Chinese Super League is imploding? Because I, I feel like we can do better yeah. than Rafa Benitez. I mean, again, we could do worse, but like... That's no. true. And like, you know, sorry, content guys like that, like, for as good as they are and as well as they've done at other clubs, like, none of them are like a global brand like Jose Mourinho. You know, none of them are guys that like you just sit up and take. No, none of them so are showing up to in Ted like, Lasso. Like you know, you're, you're absolutely right. right. You just get a guy who's a good manager, and like you hope that that guy comes in on day one and you know can pitch the players on what he wants to do. Like Mauricio Pochettino came in and he was the guy who was managing Southampton, and you know. Mauricio well, Pochino came into a team that was like, oh, we made Champions League a few years ago. We kind of got fucked out of the Champions League. Now yeah, we had a bunch of young players. I mean, it's like the expectations are a little different. We have a bunch of players who are world-class, quote-unquote. A bunch of players who made a Champions League final. A bunch of players who have played yeah. at a relatively high level. It's, just, it's, it's going to be a unique challenge. And, you know, is, yeah. for instance... You know, is Graham Potter going to be able to come into this group and sort of lay down the law, or... Well, I mean, like, is, is Nagelsmann, like, some, like, fucking, like, 35-year-old German whatever He guy at least always won the Bundesliga. I mean, that's something. Yeah. Like, right, but, like, who cares? You know, like, Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> you know, like, there's I mean, a lot of people, there's just as many people who would say, Julian Nagelsmann, this fucking weirdo German numbers guy, like, I don't give a shit, like... I want someone who's a real football man like Scott Parker. He knows the club's DNA, you know? Like, I think there's just as many permutations of, like, what that buy-in looks like as there are managers. And I don't know we have a good read on it. Well, Sorry, and I think, I think the thing that we talked about, like, before the show is it's much easier to project these guys that we perceive to be at a lower level than Spurs. Um to to rise to our level like like for taking Pochettino for example his his Southampton team outperformed expectations and then so we're like all right yeah like he took this team that was basically shitty and brought them to what ninth um and so you know you can take him and put him on Spurs and project him and I think that's the thing with Graham Potter that you look at um, specifically, and you say, look, his rosters are not good. And like he has, you know, zero finishing luck. And you look at him and you put him like with a team that is, you know, has some of the best finishers in football in terms of Kane and Son. You're like, oh, this could work. Um, and, and, and the same thing with Hassenhudel and the same thing with some of these other guys that are a little, um, not, not, not below the level of Spurs, but, you know, like. Unglamorous. Yeah. And and, and 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 you look at a Nogglesman and, you know, Leipzig aren't exactly, you know, the halves of football. Like, they, they don't have as much money as Spurs, but they are part of a system that 
develops talent and and has access to a level of quality that I don't think Spurs necessarily has in in our current iteration. And so, you know, you have to do a little bit of projection kind of in the opposite direction with Nagelsmann. Like, you know, how does he work at Spurs, you know, like where he doesn't have access to the Salzburg farm system where he doesn't have, you know, the Red Bull backing to nab the best young players in Europe or whatever the case may be. And, 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 you know, that's the case with, you know, other, other managers that are out there, you know, uh, uh, you know, a 10 hog where you're like, okay, you don't have the access to the IX youth system or with Allegri where you're like, ah, you're not Juventus anymore. Um, it's, it's harder to project downward than it is to look at a guy and say, he's in a better situation at Spurs. Like maybe he would grow and be, be, be better now. Yeah, exactly. Guys were used to a level of resources that Spurs don't have. I mean, look at Jose Mourinho, for example, is it's like, it's hard to say what can they do with less. And with guys like Graham Potter, we can, we've seen what they've done with less and you kind of hope, well, we're less, Hey, you know, but we're a little more than that. So come on. But it's easy to forget, like, Spurs have outstanding training facilities. They have one of the best stadiums in the world. Like, the money spigot's going to turn on eventually when it's No, COVID and I'm not passes. trying to, like, look, like, I don't think either Ben or I are trying to downplay the I think Ben's probably trying to downplay of money that we have. Like, we are very clearly one of the richest clubs in the world. But, like, we are not on the same level as a Juventus. Uh, a Manchester City, um, a Bayern Munich, like that's just not where we are. And like, and like, yes, in non-COVID times, is our stadium and you know our 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 training ground and our system in general going to help us be on that level? Yeah, probably, but that's not where we are right now. Well, I don't know. I hope we have some clarity about our next managerial situation soon. Scott Parker was heavily linked to Spurs today. I think Scott Parker has done an admirable job at Fulham, but I don't know. I just don't know what Scott Parker is. I I think you look at his time at Fulham, and it's like, it's not a disaster. It's better than we thought it would be. I don't think that warrants, you know, hiring him at Spurs. If, If Scott Parker was in our youth system or had been fired by Fulham or something, like, you know, would I mind him being our caretaker for the rest of the year? No, but I I do not want him to be our manager next year. I think he needs to show more than, you know, Fulham have not been as bad as we think they've been. It could have been, like, great, but that doesn't seem good. I don't think that's good enough for Spurs. Scott Parker is the guy you hire because you see Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Frank Lampard and Mikel Arteta all killing it at their respective clubs and be like, we need a guy with club DNA. Like, that's clearly the secret of success. But, like, Frank Lampard got fired, Mikel Arteta sucks, and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer also sucks, but Manu are just better than us, and so that's unfortunate. Well, like, yeah. to, get, to get that guy now, like a year and a half after everybody else jumped on this stupid bandwagon, would be just, like, an incredible misread of, like, the footballing climate. Like to see the way Chelsea transform themselves post Lampard to Thomas Tuchel and to think you want your version of Frank Lampard is just like I 
I will say Danny Levy needs to go. <laughs> and not anything because of Scott Parker as a manager. He might be fine, but like the level of thinking that goes into that hire is a Stone Age thinking that we really, really, really need to not be at well, Parker, if we ever take this club forward. Parker might be a good club manager, but it's just... I think he needs to prove it a little bit more because yeah, right, nothing he's done has shown that he's ready for this job. Yeah, it's it's. I think he has proven himself to be better than we thought he would be, and that's about it. And that's not good enough for where we are right now, especially after the fucking disaster in the last two years. Right. I mean, he got full and promoted, which is more than Frank can say about Darby. Um, <laughs> but you know, yeah, like he he started the season very badly and turned it into like a respectable, you know. Losing with a stiff upper lip, you know, just like the the RAF Air Force pilot that he is, you know. But, hey, it's not good. So on that note, I think it's time to wrap it up. Uh, you know, we'll try something a little different this week. Uh, Spurs are fucking awful right now. So, Brian, what, what is bringing some joy into your life since it's not Tottenham Hotspur these days? Oh, you're muted. Oh, that's bringing joy into my life. Damn it. Oh, we made it so <laughs> long. You were like this close. You were I'm like a so joke. close. Never even stoppage time, man. <laughs> God damn it. Um, and all I was saying was like, that assumes that there's any joy in my life. Um, so I guess the joy in my life is being muted on stupid <laughs> podcasts. Um, I don't know. Uh, what brings joy into my life? Uh, I've been playing a lot of Hades on uh, on my Nintendo Switch, and I'm finally getting halfway decent at it, um, which has taken me like more than a hundred runs, which is annoying. But like uh, that's that that's what's bringing me joy in my life right now. Ben, as we wrap up this dreadful season, what is bringing you joy in your life other than Brian muting himself? Brian being really bad at video games. <laughs> It's pretty funny. Look, uh, I'm really bad at that one specific video game. Yeah, I'm sure all the other ones you're like really, really good at. Yeah, um, I'm great at I'm great yeah, at other video games. Like the Skyrim, from Canada. I'm really he's great really, at it. He's really good at this game from Canada that you've never heard of. <laughs> you wouldn't understand. She goes to another high school, don't worry. Exactly. Thank you, Ben. Thank, thanks for yeah. just making that real clear. Uh, look, Brian is a good subtext. So, um, yeah. I, uh, I am fully vaccinated, and I had a, an outdoor dining slash bar experience this evening for the first time in a year, and uh, that was wild. It was very weird. Yeah, I've, uh, I've, I'm not vaccinated, but I had COVID, as announced on this podcast, uh, so I've been able to eat out once or, eat out once or twice, and it's, very, it's a surreal experience, but it was, it's, it's nice. It's nice. Yeah. So yeah, on that note, I think it's time to wrap it up. Uh, ben, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Comrade you Spurs. And Brian, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. You can find our podcast on Twitter at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. And you can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079. Please don't forget to leave us a five-star review. If you've made it this far, I think you are contractually obligated to do so. On that note, uh, for Ben, for Brian, and of course for Brett Rainbow, I have been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs.